Um, before we do anything else, actually, I figured that we should maybe start making this uh, show a, a bit more official. And uh, I have an intro today, so I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can. Maybe we'll we'll standardize a little a little intro. Uh, see how that works out for us. Right? You ready for us? Hey, we're gonna start again. Okay, we're not we're we're live, but we're not really live yet. We're gonna we're gonna redo the the beginning of the show. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Thirsting for Truth Live, episode 26. How do we save our kids from tragedy? I am your host, Marcus Guevara, and I am all... Uh, wait, hold on. And as always, it's funny because it's right here. I'm reading it. I don't know how I messed that up. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Alicia Franco. Alicia, say Hello. hi. Hi. This is a show with two regular people conversing on topics of faith reason and theology of the body notice how i included the like three pillars of the uh, thirsting for truth ministry and um that was to you actually that's not on that's not written here i should probably stick to the script uh so we are not theologians and we try not to pretend to be although i would say that uh i think we know a thing or two about a thing or two and uh before we get started I want to mention a few announcements. I tried to change my oil in the Ford Expedition, and uh, I messed up the oil filter after I had drained all the oil so from the car. So I had to get a tow from my house to a mechanic uh, to remove the oil filter so that I could change the oil. Um, also, I watched uh, the 11th episode of This Is Us, season one. And also, good news, I'm beginning to uh, book speaking engagements again. Uh, I'll be speaking at Theology on Tap in Clarendon, Virginia on uh, May 14th. I will be in Fairfax, Virginia on August 20th and Manassas, VA on October 8th. So if you or somebody you know at a parish or youth ministry, young adult ministry um, is looking for a speaker, myself or Alicia, if you need uh, you know, a female presence are uh, available so you can Either email myself at Marcus at ThirstingForTruth.com or Alicia at Alicia at ThirstingForTruth.com. And um, yeah, so that's it. That's all I got for the announcements. Uh, the beginning of the script. What did you think? How, what do you, how does it feel? Does it feel like I a little it too... It feels so much more official now. More official. That's what I was, that's what I was going for. Serious, more. serious business here. We I was going for... I mean, <clears throat> well, we were official before. What I was going for was more official. So if we hit it, then good. I'm, we're officially official. Yeah. So cool. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm good. I'm all right. I feel like um, I didn't bring anything to the table here. Um, I feel like you don't I have any announcements. announcements too. Um, it, it could be anything. I just ate popcorn. <laughs> I broke an oil filter um, in my garage. <laughs> so it was really crazy. It was like, so they're not supposed, I've changed oil filters before, but mm-hmm. two things. Okay. One on uh, cars that I've done it before oil filter drops downward. And it's, there's really nothing around it that impacts it from, you know, me using like the wrench and all that stuff. And this one is in like this, first of all, it's angled. Huh? No, it's a Ford Expedition. We've never changed the oil in this before. I've never changed the oil in that one. No. Um, so the, uh, anyway, so first of all, it's angled and it's, surrounded by stuff it's surrounded by a fan and um other stuff that so you can't get anything on the side of it so you can only come at 
the filters directly head on and the the oil cap or the oil filter cap you know that i try to put on top of it just basically slipped out like it nothing fit you know snugly enough for me to just um Mm -hmm. you know wrench it loose and uh so I, i tried like a ton of things i bought like three different you know like the cap i bought the i have a you know like a strap wrench and uh, and then just the final little clamp things and the clamps would really mess it up. Cause I was like, basically like bending it inwards and stuff. So then I was like, man, I don't know what to do. Cause it nothing, well, I can't use anything else besides stuff head on, you know? And so I looked up some YouTube videos and I saw this one guy who drilled a hole uh, through it and then put um, a screwdriver in there and was able to turn. I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I only have uh like drill bits that are an inch wide, you know, cause I use them like drill through the wall or like through wood planks to, you know, for whatever I need, like to run like cable through it or something. Right. Mm-hmm. So I drilled like a one inch hole through it. it was a huge one, but I was able to put a wrench inside and I just couldn't get it loose. And so, you know, embarrassingly I had to first I had to get it down my driveway and then I had to have a tow truck come pick it up and take it to the mechanic and then I have to tell him, like, I'm bringing in my car to, you know, on tow to get an oil change. And uh, and then, of course, they're like, I've never seen anybody do that before. Put a big hole in it. I'm like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I'm known for doing stuff nobody's ever seen before. Not always good, but anyway, yeah. How's your life, by the way? How's your, is this your new house? No, or, I just, okay. that's true. I'm sitting in a different place than I usually do, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dark. Yeah. It's crazy. It's no, kind of it's kind of creepy. I'm, I'm between places right now um, <laughs> because I'm fixing up the house. So it's not mm. quite ready to move in yet. Um, mm. But I had to take a pause on some painting. Here's my announcement. Um, okay. I started noticing bugs and I mean. It's been for sale, right? And then I bought it. It was on the market for a while. So I'm thinking, I wonder when the last time it was that it was treated. So um, I had to have some pest control work done today. And so I can't paint until later today. So a little mm. pause there. But anyway. That's a good announcement. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so excited about our topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I was, I, I'm just, I chose it because I've been seeing a lot of, um, activity on social media uh you know recently we had the this past weekend the march for our lives march down in here in dc um we actually were going to go to dc dan and i well the family to i don't remember like maybe i think to go to the bible there's a new bible museum that just recently opened up mm-hmm. and uh and we didn't go because we figured it'd be a ton of people and really crazy um Anyway, besides the point. So, uh, but I've been seeing activity about that. Uh, I saw it recently. You know, they had some of the the shooting survivors from Parkland on um, Bill Maher. And and so I'm starting to see things in my feed again, um, that debate on both sides. And, you know, you might, I I posted some time back, you know, something like, um, you know, trying to encourage people to to stop using the, uh, like, tragedy to push their agendas and um, I do think that there's kind of a little bit of a of a period where uh, things are very, very sensitive. You know, like something just happened yesterday 
people just lost family members and, you know, and we turned it into a, a political debate. I think that's kind of um, disrespectful and, and just not really considerate of, of the people who are going through tragedy. Um, it's been a little bit of, of time now, so it's not like it's, it's you know, still an, an immediate shock in, in the system. So I think it's okay for us to kind of talk about it, but I'm not really, again, uh, a person who's really interested in, in having a political debate on the backs of, of tragedy. Uh, while at the same time, I think that, you know, these things are, are things that we need to talk about. And so, um, if you notice the topic of the show is not, um, you know, are, is banning guns the solution or are guns at fault for these recent shootings or gun laws or gun laws at fault? I, I really don't, you know, um, my aim is not to try to like assign blame or fault or, or show why certain people are the ones that really are uh, to blame for the tragedies or whatever. The topic of the show is how do we save our kids from tragedy? Um, so I've always encouraged, you know, I don't think there's any kind of waiting period on building solutions to, you know, to bridge gaps, to help people to heal um, and, you know, and to kind of, you know, progress our culture or society or our families or whatever um, towards a greater good. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping to talk about today. So if anybody started watching just with the hopes that, you know, we would be sitting here trying to bash one side or the other uh, for their, you know, standpoint, you know, that's not, that's not what this is about at all. Um, while I'm more than willing to, to say the truth and, and, you know, speak out on what I believe, uh, whether people like it or not, or whether it's offensive to some or not, you know, um, it's kind of one of those things like I, I never, I'm not ever intending to offend or simply, you know, make people mad or whatever. Uh, but if what I say, if I, what I feel is the truth that needs to be said is offensive, um, then sometimes, you know, what needs to be said is, uh, what needs to be said. So have you, have you seen anything recently? I, I just, I'm curious before I jump into some of my thoughts. Um, I, I wasn't, um, interesting. You said, um, the, uh, the March for Our Lives, I guess that, that kind of popped up recently because I wasn't, I guess, on social media for the past couple of days. And it's amazing what you miss when you don't get on social media for a couple right. of days. Um, now, reading news is one thing and then social media is another thing. But um, I just I hadn't gone on for a couple of days and I went to have my hair done. And my hair lady said, hey, have you heard about this March for Our Lives? I have a friend that's there and she was posting pictures, I guess, what she was showing me. And we were like trying to figure out what it is, what it was. And uh, then once we realized what it was, she, she kind of tried to avoid the topic. So I guess it wasn't a time to really get political. Um, but my point being, it's something that's obviously being talked about. Um, and so it caught my attention. You know, I should, I should be paying more attention. So I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about this. Um, yes. In case anybody didn't know your name, I just, I just floated it for you. So... Of course, I know you have many fans that watch the show. <laughs> many devout, you know, fans. Uh, sorry, you're gonna ask. I mean, it's like you said. It's like you said. Um, we don't have a particular agenda for this topic. Um, but as a parent, I have to say you should go first. 
interested to Well, yeah, I mean, I think and here, here's, it's funny that you say that because that kind of, uh, you know, is, is a great start to why I thought this was a good topic for today because, so I got on the, to Facebook to start gearing up for, for today's show and, uh, and to kind of see what was going on out there. And, you know, uh, I just immediately saw a ton of, of, uh, posts on this subject, which, uh, and I, you know, I wondered because it's been a little time and a lot of times people, after something happens, something tragic, everybody's got something to say. There's tons of posts and videos and articles and stuff like that. And then it dies out and then people kind of stop, you know, caring so, um, uh, I guess deeply or, or at least being so, uh, you know, interested in the topic as they are when, you know, it first happens. So I was wondering what, what exactly it was that was spurring up all this stuff. And it's as, you know, part of it is, you know, that we just had this March recently, but the other part is that some of the students from the Parkland shooting are now speaking out. Um, you know, they're, uh, becoming little activists on gun control and they have a lot to say. And so, you know, like I mentioned, I had one of the videos I saw was, uh, you know, two of them went on to Bill Maher and, or to a Bill, the, uh, Bill Maher's show. And, um, we're top, talking about the topic. And then now I've seen some videos commenting on, on them, you know, from the other side. So you have like the, some people who are like supporting what they're saying and, and getting behind them. And then others who are like, you know, these kids are idiots. Why should we listen to them? You know, what do they know? They're, you know, they point out all the, um, mistakes that they make, you know, and, uh, the, the like very clearly wrong things, you know, like, uh, for example, one of the kids said, you know, we, we, you think that we're fighting this second amendment thing as it's like this right that you're born with. Uh, and then even Bill Maher, you know, interjects and says, yeah, but, but you are, it is something you're born with if you're American. And then the kid's like, well, yeah, well, only if you're American. Um, so, you know, again, so people are pointing out things like that to show like, uh, these kids don't know what they're talking about. Why should we listen to them? And so you're asking the question or, you know, if, or I'm sorry, giving me the floor because I'm a parent is kind of a, uh, funny start to, you know, the, again, that whole issue, should we listen to young kids who really don't know anything about the issue because they've, they were victims or, or. Um, at least because they were very close to tragedy, right? So let me, before I throw my thoughts in there, I, I guess I have, you know, a question for you since you passed it to me because I'm a parent. Do you think that if somebody's not a parent that they can have an opinion or that they can have um, some very sound knowledge on something that, you know, a topic having to deal with either kids um, like parenting kids or uh kids in general like you know i mean i kids in high school um how do we protect them in these situations i am a parent but my kids are seven six three and one you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so what's your what's your opinion i guess on on that well i think anyone can have an opinion on it especially if you're if you're wanting to be a parent, but whether you are or not, there's still people. Um, and people are going to have, people are going to have their opinions anyway. Um, but, um, 
a point that I also wanted to make was that um, I was thinking about the topic that the way that you wrote the topic is how do we protect our children from tragedy? And um, there are many different kinds of tragedies out there, right? And they can affect all ages. Um, so one point that I'm getting at is um, I can still act to protect young people, whether they're my children or not. Um, and the second point that I'm trying to make is that um, it, it depends on the tragedy. So um, you've made comments before about how you see things differently now that you're a parent. Um, and now that it's more tangible for you, actually having children and being a parent, um, I have I have some thoughts, but I definitely want to hear yours first. So that's what I was getting at. I gotcha. So um, here here's my first, you know, on that topic. There, uh, my thought is that you know, yes, everybody can have an opinion, but just because you don't have uh, experience in something doesn't mean that you can't actually have unique insight. So the first thing that I would say is I'm not going, I can't dismiss these kids or anybody um, or anyone, anything that they say just because I feel like they're young kids who don't know anything, right? Because mm -hmm. they haven't had that experience. Like they've never been outside of high school. Uh, so they've never had to live on their own, you know, most likely. Uh, they've never had to work a job where they actually have to pay everything, you know, their own rent, car, food, and and all of that stuff. So, but just because they don't have that life experience doesn't mean that they can't have some great insight. You know, sometimes they can have better insight than people who do have life experience who are 30, 40, or even 50 years old. You know, um, I was 19, 20 years old, I think, when I first started to kind of speak. Uh, this was, you know, because Diane and I met at, uh, I think, when I was 18. And, um, yeah, I think we did meet when I was either when we were 18, maybe it was closer to 19. And, uh, you know, within a year of when we met, I had read a ton of books on the theology of the body. I had been to a bunch of, you know, conferences. And when, you know, you know me, when I get really crazy about something and I get like addicted, I mean, I go nuts, right? So um, I was reading constantly, listening to talks constantly, like, you know, so within a year, I had like a ton of knowledge just like swirling around my head and I started to speak at youth groups and I started to speak to, to parents and adults and I went to men's retreat, you know, at 20 years old um, and uh, and was, I gave talks and, you know, was speaking and I earned a lot of respect from people because, you know, while I was 20 and I probably still look like I was 16 because even though I'm 31 almost now uh, and I still look like I'm 23 or 24, um, people heard what I had to say. And I'm sure there was many people who, before they heard what I had to say, uh, thought they weren't going to get anything from me because again, I look young, I am young. And they're, you know, what do I have to say about relationships, about marriage and, and those kinds of things, right? Um, what, what could I possibly know about those things? Uh, yet when I spoke on them, uh, a lot of people who, you know, whether they were unwilling to hear me out first or not, would come up to me afterwards and, and very often, you know, tell me that they were impressed uh, by, you know, what I knew and what I had to say. And that's not to, 
uh, I really hate the phrase toot my own horn because it's very weird. You know, like, I, can we come up with like a, can we start a new trend here? Um, what's, uh, what's something that people do that's to like, I don't know. It's tootin' hornishy, but not so weirdly sounding. <laughs> um, I don't know. Make my own birthday cake? Is that weird? Does that like make sense <laughs> at all? You know, I don't know. But uh, so, what's that? It makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's whatever. So I not not to just you know arrogantly point out that at twenty years old I knew a thing or two, um, because I at, after that you know there have been times where. I have been deeply humbled uh, by God, and uh, you know. So, while while I needed some humbling, while I needed some life experience to help me, and you know, Diane and I have had to work through things or whatever. I do feel like that at twenty years old, I was not an average twenty years old, twenty year oldish, you know, kid um, when it came to love and relationships. Um, and so, my point is simply, I don't know any of these kids personally, and I don't know what their backgrounds are. I don't know the kind of tragedy they've been through before this, the kind of life, you know, some kids at 20 years old have had to take care of themselves for uh, six years or eight, 18 years old. Some kids at 18 years old have been having to take care of themselves for since they were 10, 11 or 12 years old because their parents are just absent and, you know, they take care of themselves. They take care of their younger siblings and, and they become very, very mature by the time they're 18 years old. And in fact, at, at 18 years old, I, there's no way that I would have been able to go on CNN and not sound like a doofus because you know what I mean? Like I had yeah. nothing to say. Um, so it's, it's, it's already admirable that some of these kids can come and speak so confidently. Um, and really, um, even though what they're saying might be silly at times or, or just incorrect, they have a lot of courage and I'll give them that first of all. Right. Um, so, but the, the first point is that I would never discount anybody just because of, who they are, what their age might be. You know, I think everybody deserves to be listened to. That doesn't mean that everybody is, you know, right or that we should um, automatically accept what they have to say or not challenge what they have to say um, because of who they are. So it should work on both ways, right? I'm not going to discount you before I hear you out because of who you are, but I'm not going to simply accept everything you say because of who you are. And I think that that's, this is part of the tension that we have, right? Is that, you know, the, the people on the side of, you know, the gun control debate saying, you know, that guns are the, are the issue and, and need to be banned um, are able to float these, these kids up as, you know, the um, kind of the, uh, you know, the, the golden reason uh, for wow. their argument. And, uh, and there's no, there's no shame in that. Right. Cause it's like, I don't know. It's like um, anytime that there's a, a popular issue that, you know, somebody's speaking out on and uh, they're on your side. Well, sharing that is usually totally cool, right? It's status quo. Mm -hmm. But challenging people who have either been in the midst of tragedy or who are very close to it is, is a very sticky issue because you can immediately um, be criticized for just being heartless. You know, like, how can you how can you challenge what that kid, you know, is saying? I mean, he was in the he was in the school, what? And the kids even use this as, as well, right? Like they said, "Don't tell me that, you know, you're not going to uh, ban guns, or don't tell me to shut up, you know, or don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. I was there in the school, locked in a room, and um, 
you know, so again, there's, you, you run the risk of being called heartless if you have, if you, you know, challenge anything that they say. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I, I'm glad that these kids are being given a voice, you know, and I'm wondering, are there any kids, you know, kind of on, on the, uh, doing anything else on the opposite end? Like the, uh, what was the, the Columbine, um, there's a girl from the Columbine shooting, Rachel something. Um, do you not know what I'm talking about? No. Quick Google search will get me there. Trust me. Columbine, um, Rachel Scott. There you go. Rachel Scott. If you haven't heard her story before, um, she was one of the, uh, you know, students that was killed in the uh, Columbine shooting. And she has a really fantastic story after her death her father went around sharing her story and she had the little journal and she talked about, um, you know, loving people and, and, you know, being nice and kind to others. And she had that, uh, she was known for that, um, you know, extending herself and, and trying to uh, be basically just befriend others. And so uh, in my, my point is simply like, I wonder if there's any, any other, stories or or people who will speak out and who come out of this who have something different to say other than you know just talking about gun control but regardless i do not think that we should dismiss these kids right out of hand just because they're young and just because again like they they do actually sound silly at times when they when they talk about their own experience and how they felt there's nothing to question there right i mean they, they it's um it's very heartbreaking to, to hear young people talk about that. Cause I, if I went through something like that, I would be terrified. And I'm at, you know, 31 years old. I think it would, it would haunt me. And I can't imagine going through that at 14 years old. You know, if I was a freshman, you know, and even at 18 years old as a senior. Um, so when they talk about their own experience, I, I feel like, you know, um, they, they very confidently are able to express themselves, even if they sound nervous, um, what they're saying is, is, you know, pretty authentic when they start talking about some things that they are, they're obviously a little bit ignorant about when they start talking about the second amendment. And if I started talking about the constitution, you know, from a, a legal perspective, I'd sound like an idiot too, because I'm not an expert in the constitution either. Um, they do sound a little bit silly, but I still don't think that, you know, we should either dismiss them or ridicule them right offhand just because, um, they're not scholars on the subject for the same reason why at the beginning of this show, I introduce it as, you know, you and I are regular people who converse on uh, serious topics. You know, I, I, I purposefully try not to prepare for the show with um, all of my arguments down with the, uh, you know, all the, the Bible passages um, that I want to bring up in defense of something, mostly because I want to show people that, when you're not prepared to talk about something, you know, you can still have a good conversation about it, right? Um, mostly because I don't want to come here and simply throw out a ton of arguments um, to just, you know, just dismantle uh, something without really being open to kind of exploring it, you know? So, you know, the, the, the aim of this show here is usually to explore some topic with you. Um, I want to know your thoughts, you know, I'll tell you kind of my initial thoughts and um, sometimes I know a little bit more about something. Sometimes I know a little bit less and I'll be honest and just say like, I don't really know. You know, I don't really know you, uh, what all is in the second 
amendment other than uh, allowing people to uh, to bear arms if there's any kind of other you know uh, like small things that people just normally don't know about I don't know um, again I, I can't even tell you all the amendments in the Constitution and so on and so forth so uh, without pretending to know all that stuff I still think that we can have a pretty good conversation uh, about this but what is your your opinion on um, I, I mean even if you haven't seen the videos that I'm talking about uh, on these kids who are, um, you know, coming out to speak on gun control and asking for guns to be banned and asking law- lawmakers to, you know, get stricter on gun control and, you know, basically coming out against the NRA, criticizing the NRA um, at 18 years old, where, you know, just, just months ago, um, they were worried about algebra and history. Right. Um, I think, First of all, I like what you said. Just the fact that they're on sometimes live television speaking is extremely courageous. So we have to applaud them for that. That's amazing. Um, But I think that uh, a testimony is only one piece of the information and it's important. We need that testimony. Um, But it's kind of like if you or I were to go and talk about our experience with Christ, our personal experience um and then morph something that is more concrete the bible for example um and i'm touching on that just because of what you said Um, we're having a logical conversation about something um and there's also a um a more concrete way to go about that there's different ways different pieces to um a um topic i guess um so what i'm what i'm essentially getting at here is uh, their testimony is very important but um i would love to see side by side here um kind of a dissection of the second amendment and this testimony at the same time um and um I well, think so a comparison with with other testimonies as well. For example, something that's a little closer to home over here is, um, um, gosh, what was the little town's name? Uh, the little town down here, Sutherland Springs, just south of uh, mm-hmm. San Antonio. Um, you know, people kind of overlook the fact that uh, the reason that this shooting was stopped or or just cut short, you know, there's no way to really know that. Um, but, um, they were pursued by a civilian, which of course is not always encouraged. You're not a trained police officer or anything like that, but look, look at the result that came from this. Um, and, uh, I, I think that the, these kids, their testimony is courageous and important and needed, um, but it's only one part. So actually you brought up a, a really great analogy, which is that of faith. Um, and we, cause this happens a lot, right? If you, uh, you have an experience in the church and you feel flooded with the spirit and you want to tell people about it, you know? And so you, you start to give testimony and the testimony has a lot to do with your experience, how you feel, you know, what happened to you. Um, you can talk about your past what you've been through Here's you know, my parents or, uh, my friends and, you know, all of these things that are very, you know, directly, you know, part of your life. 
And then when somebody asks you about something like, oh, well, then, uh, you know, as a Catholic, let's say, uh, you know, then why does the Catholic Church, you know, worship Mary? And if you don't really know how to talk about that, you know, like, I, well, we don't, you know, if, well, then why this, that, or, you know, why do they have statues of Mary? Why do we have the these prayers? If you can't talk about that, does that invalidate your testimony? You know, does that mean that you what you actually felt and, you know, the way you described your experience is no longer valid um, because you don't know the theology of the church when it comes to Mary? Well, no, but it just, it makes you, I think that's what you're getting at. You, you, you look kind of silly, just like. It, it, it makes your, it makes what you're saying feel less credible, even though it, it, it shouldn't. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, you know, every argument should be, um, you know, I guess it, it's, it's merit should be uh, whether or not it's, it's true. And, you know, so kind of, kind of to your point, I think that uh, we should, well, my point earlier is we shouldn't just disregard them because they are 16, 17, or 18 years old, and they don't have the life experience that we feel that they need to have in order to have an opinion on the subject. Um, we also shouldn't, you know, because of their tragic experience, take their testimony and allow that to be the only fuel, you know, in their their um, their arguments. We should, I think, be willing to hear everybody's story because the more that more information we have, the more uh, we hear about people's experience and the more informed we become, um, that helps us to, uh, you know, make better decisions. And I think the first decision that should always be made in those cases is to help the kids, right. To, to he help them heal and, and those kinds of things. And so, you know, I know, um, this is like a classic thing, you know, the, they're in our hearts and prayers, uh, you know, sort of mention a lot of people don't like because they feel like, well, hearts and prayer or sorry, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers don't solve anything. I do think that it actually does do a lot. I do think that people who truly pray for victims of tragedy, I think it does do a whole lot. And we talked about this, was this last episode? I can't remember if it was the last one or the one before that, how I believe that firmly that, you know, people are uh, connected and that God um, requires us to pray for each other, not simply because you know, f floating messages to God are, um, you know, like these uh, kind of easy excuses for, for real action. Uh, but because when we pray for others, what we're supposed to be doing, if we're doing it the right way, is we're supposed to be meditating on who it is that we're praying for. We're supposed to be trying to connect with them. We're supposed to be doing what everybody in the, you know, gun control debate is doing on both sides. Um, we're supposed to be injecting ourselves into, you know, this moment where these people are and trying to figure out, you know, well, how, what do I do about this? You know? And so the, the prayers where we simply say like, God, please help them. That's part of it. You know, I'm, I'm not, uh, belittling that at all. You know, we should say, uh, we should plead to God to, to, you know, help to bring healing and, um, to bring the spirit to these people for comfort. But at the same time, we should also allow ourselves to come into contemplation about the whole thing and, uh, you know, join ourselves to their suffering. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I get it that, you know, those who um, don't, uh, aren't a part of the faith or don't have a strong faith, 
might have trouble understanding that, but uh, let me just, I think it was last episode. I, I want to make sure that I'm giving people the right. Um, yeah, it was the importance of fatherhood in, in the church um, where we talked about, you know, the, uh, the, the point of prayer and how it helps us and, and, and sacrifice and how it helps us to join ourselves to others. Because as you said, you know, you're, uh, you gave up hot water for Lent and every time that you take a shower, it helps you to understand that there's people out there who don't have hot showers. And when we take that for granted, you know, we forget about them, mm -hmm. but you experiencing not having hot showers is helping you to understand a little bit more of who these people are. You know, like we see homeless people and we just, you know, we, we, we think we know who they are and what, you know, what they feel until we actually feel it. And we recognize, wow, like, you know, I, I have no idea. I had no idea that just having a hot shower is huge comfort that these people live without. And so, you know, that's the same as, as fasting, you know, when we purposefully go without eating and you feel that, that great hunger, well, you, you get to know people who are starving in a way that you normally don't. Right. And this is what prayer and contemplation is supposed to bring us to. So if we're doing it the right way, then when we see tragedy on the television and our hearts are, are stirred, you know, with, with um, pity and empathy for the people who are involved, um, what we should be doing we sh is we should start contemplating, uh, you know, how, how can I be a part of this? You know, and, and for some people, well, for everybody, really, um, you know, sacrifice and, and, and um, intentional sacrifice and suffering um, can help you to join yourself to them, right? So uh, there's that aspect of it. The other aspect of it is you allow um, that experience of others and the tragedy to fuel your own faith, you know, to, to do better things, you know, so to go and, uh, you know, tell your wife that you love her and that you appreciate her to go kiss your kids and, and look at them very deeply and, and recognize that they are a gift that can be gone at any moment. Um, you know, so again, so like that stuff is, is it's action. So thoughts and prayers can be very effective and actionable when tragedy strikes, if people are, are using it the right way. And obviously simply put in, you know, these people are my thoughts and prayers on Facebook and then forgetting about it is not, is not what that's meant to be. So there's that. Now, the, you know, again, the question of the legitimacy of their, their, you know, arguments uh, and whether or not that should be joined to their experience or, or separated from their experience. I think it's like you said, um, it depends, right? You know, so sometimes our experience can actually um, be fuel for our arguments and, and can help back them up a little bit. Um, so, you know, I can, I can, for example, say that, you know, here's what the Catholic Church teaches on uh, marriage. Here's what the Catholic Church teaches about Mary um, and those kinds of things. But I can also say that I've been living a Catholic faith for the last, well, you know, I've always been Catholic technically and was, was baptized when I was a baby. But I would say that I really started living out my faith uh, in 2009. No, sorry, that was when I graduated. So I met Diane in 2006, I think. So coming on, what is that, 12 years now, right? So for the last 11 or 12 years, I've been living out my faith and I have made huge strides in, in who I am, you know, becoming a better person, becoming a person of, of greater integrity. Um, the way that I, I treat Diane and, you know, the way that I love the kids and the, the life that we've built, the four kids that God has given us, 
you know, all of that stuff is very, very good. And I believe that that's fruit of, you know, the, the faith that we've been working out for the past 12 years. So while I wouldn't say that you look at somebody and you say, wow, look, they have a great life. Um, they're, uh, Catholic, you know, the, the Catholic church must be true because of, you know, look at them. I mean, it, that's not a great argument. However, it does support it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, because I believe that there are great Baptists out there. I've, I've met people who are Protestant who they have a lot of, you know, grace in their lives. I can tell, you know, they have great marriage or they are good parents. Um, but that doesn't automatically validate everything that they believe in their faith about, you know, whatever, whether they be Baptist or, or, or Catholic or whatever. Right. So we can, we can take that as part of it, like you said, but I don't think that it can be all of it. Um, just the same way as you, you take a good Baptist person or a good um, Lutheran or non-denominational Christian and you take a good Catholic and you look at both of them and you're like, okay, well, who's the best person? And that's probably who has the best experience here. And that's probably the one that's probably the right church, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have something to say? No. Oh, I thought you were going to jump in. So um, we should we should look at the church you know, what the church teaches. We should look at what the Catholic church teaches. We should look at, you know, what the, the Baptist or, or, you know, Pentecostal church teaches. And we should really kind of, you know, allow them to, uh, you know, live or die based on, on, you know, the truth of what it teaches. Um, and not only on the fruits that it has inside the church itself. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, I guess I, without trying not to, you know, completely repeat myself in circles and circles, um, I'm not discounting the fact that, you know, if you see, uh, inside the Baptist church, a lot of really good people that, you know, like, yeah, that, that has nothing to do with it. Um, because I do believe that the Catholic church pumps out a lot of saints with a ton of great stories. And that is partly some of the great evidence for why I believe the, the Catholic church to be the true church. So getting back to the whole Parkland, uh, students who are, uh, going on television and, uh, talking about banning gun control, I I look at their experience as tragic, um, but not informing. Does that make sense? Uh, not necessarily informing, um, unless you know uh, it, it's informing them on something that, or, or I'm sorry, unless they're speaking on something that it actually can inform them about. Uh, somebody made a good argument that went something like, um, you know, if people survive like an engine failure in an airplane, right, where the plane is, you know, makes a sudden drop, they feel like they're going to die. And they miraculously are, you know, what, what was the, um, the, was it the, I think it happened here on the Potomac River in DC, the, the miracle where the, they actually landed the plane. Uh, let's see. There's a there's a movie about it. Captain Sonberger. Um, where he landed the plane on the the Hudson River. At Flight ninety, yeah, that's the one, Hudson River. Okay, so never mind. So it wasn't Potomac. Um, yeah. All right. So anyway, so there you go. So if everybody on that uh, aircraft survived, although they all believed that they were going to die, that's a very traumatic, you know, experience. Are they now um, experts? Are they now informed on airplane safety or on weather, you know, controls um, or any of those things 
can they now uh, influence how airplanes are either you know built to safer standards or how um, pilots are now instructed to to fly based on weather patterns and so on and so forth? Um, you know, did did that inform them in such a way that they now uh, you know can can speak confidently about that topic? Not necessarily, right? Like, no. I mean, it it it, can it inspire them to educate themselves. It, right. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. But but it also depends because if they were, let's just say that somebody on the flight was, you know, a student or like a, you know, they they had their master's degree or PhD in flight safety and they recognized a couple things that they wouldn't have known had they not had the experience of being there and actually seeing something right Um I don't know, like the way that people react and what they do. Let's just say that like this is there's somebody on the plane who designs the interior of a plane, you know, and, and looks at safety standards or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And while they're on the plane, they saw how people reacted and they saw that the first they didn't go, you know, first for the, uh, you know, the overhanging uh, oxygen mask or whatever. Like, I don't know, something along those lines where they, they were able to now take the experience, this what they saw in the midst of that you know, trauma where maybe nobody would have remembered to, to be able to explain to them later. Now they have additional information that yes, I would, you know, definitely listen to them. Cause I would say like, okay, this guy is an, an expert on the topic or, or at least, you know, this person is informed on the topic and they have this experience. So both of those things together makes me feel like I, I would want to hear more of what they had to say and, and maybe even entrust it a bit more. Right. Mm -hmm. However, every other person who doesn't have, is not informed on that issue did not just become instantly experts on flight safety. Mm -hmm. And I think that we should, we should see it the same way like, while again, not discounting what they're saying because their experience can also inform us. Um, and this is where I think, you know, we haven't really um, hit the topic in the way that I, I wanted to, this is what I, I'm hoping, you know, we do with this information is we take what these kids are saying and not necessarily about, you know, gun control. Like I, I'm willing to listen to everything they have to say on that. Um, but I'm not going to just allow them to make up my mind simply because, you know, they were, they were very near or experts on aeronautics. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I was actually talking about the, um, the Parkland kids though. So yeah, I know I was speaking metaphorically. Oh, oh, I get it. I get it. Okay. So, right. So I'm, I'm saying that, um, I'm not going to automatically make them experts on gun control because they were in the middle of a, uh, you know, shooting. Right. But I'm not going to discount their experience either. I think that there's something good to be, to be had there. I think that we can use their experience to help inform us and to, you know, help answer that question. How do we save our kids from tragedy? You know, cause here's what I would like to know. I would wish people would ask them instead of just sitting there with these kids and asking them, so what do you think? Should we ban assault rifles? Well, I mean, again, like I, I don't mind them having an opinion on that, but unless these kids know something, you know, along the lines of, you know, the, the, the trends, the, you know, the, the politics, if, unless they know, um, you know, how many guns are, are sold and how, the statistics of how many people are killed with this one or versus that one. And, you know, I, the point is like, unless they can speak to it intelligently, why are you asking that question to the kids? Mm -hmm. What I would be asking them is, 
you know, not just tell me how you felt, but tell me who you are and tell me what you felt like, you know, what do you feel like when you go to school? Do you feel like this is a place where, uh, you know, you can learn? Like, is this a place where people generally treat each other with respect? When you go to school, do you see clicks? You know, do you see these people who, um, or, you know, torment those people? Do you see the, the, you know, football players, uh, making a mockery of, of the science students or something like that? Like, what is it that you see at school? And I, you know, I want to know from your experience, how do you feel? How does a teenager feel when they go to school? And I want to ask all of these kids that, right? Cause I want to see what angle they come from. Okay. If you're in sports, well, what do you feel like? I feel the pressure of having to do well in sports and not really, you know, um, you know, getting a chance to study and, and do good on my tests. You know, I feel like the pressure to, to do well in sports is, is greater than anything else. And a lot of times I wish I could just go in and hang out with friends. You know, I, I want to know that kind of stuff. And that to me, that is where these kids are experts. They're experts on how it feels to be a young pe- a young person, a student in high school, you know, with the pressures that you experience, uh, you know, the, uh, the the tr- really kind of like the more frequent tragedies of people, you know, sharing embarrassing photos and videos of each other at school, um, or you know the uh, teachers not seeming like they care about them, or the teachers are so sh- high strung and stressed out, you know, because of all the tests that they have to do. And the, if the what do the teachers complain about? You know, do the teachers tell you like, guys, I wish we could spend more time on this, but we can't because we have to go do this. You know, do you feel like you need more time to, you know, for like recreation? Like, do you feel like you had a longer, like you wish you had a longer, you know, um, uh, time to, you know, I don't know, experiment and, you know, to do things like shop class or what I want to know is from their experience, how do we help our kids that are very young? How do I help my young kids, you know, my seven-year-old and my six-year-old as they're, you know, getting older? I want to hear from a, a high school student how they feel in high school and what the pressures are and, and, and what they wish they had or didn't have or whatever so that I could help to start building that into my own kids. Because honestly, I think that's how, we, that's how we save our kids. We take the experience of those who've either made mistakes or gone through tragedy and we try to learn from that to, you know, uh, to either fill the void that we may not know our kids are growing up with or to challenge, to help them to build um, the tools that they need to challenge, uh, you know, whatever it is that kids are facing whenever they get into high school. You know what I mean? I think think there's another point to that too. Um, I agree with what you said, but I think in addition to that, the credibility that these students have in this particular example, um, and I'm also going to grab from uh, the United Airlines flight, with Captain Sullenberger, um, I think there's there's two things going on here. So uh, when that flight landed in the Hudson, um, everybody lived. And of course there were some injuries, right? Um, but the crew and everyone on board uh, survived. And so the credibility that these people have is the direction that they received. So for example, <clears throat> what worked? Why was this, why was this a successful a version of tragedy. There's one uh, testimony, which is um, the um, the pilot and the co-pilot, right? And then the staff um, 
the um, flight attendants that helped direct the people on how to brace themselves um, to avoid injury, those kinds of things. And then looking at um, the school in Florida, um, which the name escapes me right now, um, but uh, looking to these students, I think it's important to listen to them. And, and we, 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 we kind of already said this, um, but what they were thinking in that, in that tragedy, in that particular tragedy in that moment. Um, so for example, when they started hearing shots, where did they run? Um, as, as students who know the point. school very well, or where were they already, where they felt they were safe and why did they think that? Because in, in, in a time of emergency, when you don't have a lot of time to think, be it a, a fire or a natural disaster even, um, these are survivors that are speaking, right? So what did they do that worked? Um, I think in trying to solve these issues, um, it, we have to look for things that we did wrong and, and things that we did right. And of course, there are things that you cannot always correct. For example, if you're right at the entry of the school when um, this evil person is there, um, tragically, there's maybe not much that you can do. Um, but um, it's kind of like when we're going to school and we had the fire drills growing up um, and uh, tornado drills, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. Um, well, yeah. so to your point there, in the military, uh, we there are you know, active shooter drills all the time. Right for the for the same reason that you're saying is that well, uh, you have to be prepared to know what it is that you would do in that situation because you don't want to, you know, lessons learned afterwards are are only effective if you actually train to them and and you drill often enough that when it happens you remember you know what I mean like you're not trying to think oh yeah what where exactly is that, that's something that we cannot not being in that place um, and even having the training, let's say you do, you, you had a fire drill and there was a fire, maybe in time of emergency, you don't remember. Um, but there's things that maybe we would not think about if we were not somebody who'd experienced this tragedy for ourselves. And I think that's really important to listen to. Um, and if, if they're not talking about that, then they need to. Um, because again, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the show appearances that they had, they had done. Um, Talk, talk about the tragedy. I think that's therapeutic and say why you were scared and what you experienced, but also um, what you did. I think that's really important. Yeah, no, I agree. So, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it, but the thing that the, the biggest point there is that uh, these kids do have something to say. We shouldn't ridicule them. They're still kids. They're still humans. I, I, I really try not, you know, to ridicule anybody, even if they're saying things that I like vehemently disagree with. Um, and I'm, or obviously I'm not perfect. And so I've made many mistakes in that arena. Um, but I, you know, especially for young people, you know, they have a, they have a lot, they have a lot of life already, but they have a ton of life still to live and a ton to learn. And, you know, uh, I, <laughs> again, I, they have more courage than I had at that age, but regardless of what they know, they're still kids. They're still, they're young and we shouldn't, you know, ridicule them and, and dismiss them and just say like, you're, you know, get out of here, stupid kid. You don't know anything. Right. Um, don't, you don't have to simply give them, well, even if I would say simply giving them respect because they're a victim of tragedy or, or 
you know, again, close to the victims of tragedy or whatever. Um, I would, I would give every young person that same kind of respect, no matter what, whether they're a victim of tragedy or not, every young person, you know, uh, actually I was recently watching this, um, trailer for the, um, a new movie that's coming out about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my gosh, it's adorable. Like that guy was awesome. And, you know, one of the things that he says in the trailer is that children have very deep feelings, just like everybody else, you know, and he, he loved children. He, he listened to them. He, he wanted to teach them things, you know, he wanted to teach them about very serious matters. And I think a lot of people look at children and they're like, they don't know anything, right? They're not going to get that. You, why are you even wasting your time on that? Or like, why do you even ask them? you know, what their thoughts on there. They're just kids. They don't know crap. And, you know, this guy, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers was like, you know, no, children have a lot to say, you know, and they, they have feelings just like you and I, and they experience things. And, you know, and so we should always look to draw out of every other person, you know, their story. And we should respect that. We shouldn't ever dismiss them uh, simply because, you know, they're not who we, they're not us or they, they're not, they don't have what we think they need to have. Um, for us to, to listen to them. But, um, you know, I, I, you have a great point, you know, that, uh, they have a lot to say, I'm sure about some, some things that we can learn logistically from the whole thing. Um, but more of the, more so I would, I just wish that people would ask them deeper questions that they would go a little bit deeper, you know, than the gun control debate. Um, cause that's on the surface. There's, there's something there. I'm sure there is, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to read any article and, and, Look at any information, even if it says we should ban all AR-15s. I I do actually like guns a lot. Um, I have some myself, you know, and uh, I, I like shooting. So even though I, I, I do actually love the AR-15, it's a very cool gun, you know. Even though I love that gun, I would listen to something, an argument that says, you know, we should ban them. I mean, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to try and, and, you know, weigh the argument and, and see if the facts that are presented are true or what have you, but I'm willing to read it because I, again, it doesn't like, I, I am open to the information no matter who it comes from, you know, but I still think that the issue goes deeper. And I just wish that people would ask these kids deeper questions, you know, um, about who they are, their experiences, you know, where they come from. Um, but, but even more so like, what is it like to be a teen? And, you know, what do you, uh, what, what is high school? Uh, what are the real issues in high school that are bringing kids to the point where they want to come to school and shoot? I mean, they're not wanting to come to school and shoot up the whole school because AR-15s exist, right? And so whether or not banning all AR-15s will help to mitigate the disasters, okay, I'm, I'm willing to listen to that. What I will not entertain is that AR-15s are the reason why these kids are coming to school and shooting kids up. That's not the reason. I know that's not the reason um, because there's a lot of, you know, um, a lot of history with a lot of people killing other people before AR-15s ever came onto the scene. And so um, what I want to know is what's the real issue? Like, how are these kids, how is it that high school kids are, you know, um, can get to the point where not, not just that they think, think, well, yeah, right. Like, and it's not just that they logistically are able to plan it out at high school as high schoolers, but that they, how do you get to that? Like, I, I could never imagine, um, you know, doing something of, of such great magnitude Mm -hmm. now forget at 18 years old. Right. 
so there's something bigger, I think, that we need to really kind of get, you know, get at um, that needs to be discussed. And that's, you know, again, so how do we save our kids? Well, for me, it's there's there's new information, you know, um, there's new things to discuss, but it's the same old problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I honestly think that part of it has to do with the fact that we have such broken families, you know, that our, our families are, are tragically, um, you know, setting kids up for failure. You know, the, I, I think that maybe, maybe this is why I can't understand like the amount of pain that kids have in high school. And this is what I, this is why I want them to ask them questions about that because I'm, I'm so curious to know about what kind of pain these kids have um, that they're driven to that. Cause I think that's really the source of it, right. Is, is great hurt, great pain um, drives people to be, to become very desperate. You know, I know that there's some people who talk a little bit about um, the medicines that we give kids these days, right? So the, the medicines that have um, psycho side effects, right? Where uh, the, you watch a, a commercial and at the end it says, you know, the um, side effects can include, you know, thoughts of harming yourself, harming others, you know, That's so scary. on and so forth. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a lot of medicine. Um, one of the, what's the, the common one I'm thinking about right now is uh, like the antidepressants essentially, right? How many kids are depressed either because of what's happening at home or what's happening at school that they go to counselors or, or to, um, you know, um, I forget if it's psychologists that prescribe the, the medicines or if it's a therapist, I think it's therapists, right? Um, yeah. Cause psychologists study the issue. And I think, so how many kids are, are going to therapists and, you know, saying, I'm really, really depressed. I just, I hate my life and all of these things. And they're being prescribed antidepressants. And then those antidepressants are actually manipulating their, their mind and their reality. They are, they're actually, you know, um, injecting them with another struggle, which is again, the, uh, the psychotics, like thoughts of harming others or thoughts of harming yourself. Um, how many kids are, are yeah, having to deal with that where we didn't have that, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, right? Like, the, so in other words, there's a lot more to, to the subject that I think we have time to discuss. And I'm, I'm willing to, I look at all those things. I read as much as I can on, on the issue because I think that that's part of how we resolve this. But the other part of it is, is very, very, very simple, right? I think for one, um, young people who are told that they can do whatever they want with whoever they want, you know, that they can have sex and, you know, with as many people and there's just no consequences. You know, I think that that's part of, you know, this, that's the start of these kinds of tragedies, right? Because, and I haven't thought about this. I mean, I, I haven't, I didn't prepare myself to, to string this together, but I'll try to do it really quick if I can. But when, you know, uh, people are, throwing their their the sacredness of their bodies around like it's nothing right the most sacred thing that you have almost like the the greatest secret that you have right is is your your body right so sex is that um like one secret that nobody knows about right you know nobody gets sees you like that um your your parents see you naked when you're a kid um and you know like other than like say a doctor or whatever like there's the 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 intimacy and sacredness of sex um, becomes, uh, you know, degraded 
with young people when they're told like, you know, just when you're ready, you just have sex. Right. So then they start, they start having sex with people. Um, and they start to kind of degrade that dignity that, you know, is sex, right? Like that's why, you know, rape and, and, you know, molestation is such a degrading and inhumane act because it, it really like cuts at who that person is, right? Like it's like you're chopping a piece of their soul up um, and, you know, take tearing it out of them essentially, right? That's how I think people feel. And so when they, when they willingly kind of chop up their soul and give it away and, and what have you, they start to feel all the effects of that, right? And mm-hmm. then they become trained that, you know, again, if it's, if it's not that sacred then, well, then why should it be so sacred in marriage, you know? And now in marriage, you have this uh, like willy-nilliness too, or like, you know, the, the commitment's not that big a deal, right? Because if I was quote unquote committed in all these other relationships, and if I was able to, you know, give out my deepest, darkest secret and, and you know, the the one, you know, the, the greatest treasure that I ever had to everybody else, and now, you know, there's, why should that be such a bonding agent for you and I? You know, marriage becomes easy to disintegrate and dissolve. Um, so now the kids whose parents were supposed to, you know, be that, um, the rock, the foundation on, on which they live, their whole world now is falling apart. And, you know, so now these kids are having to deal with, um, divorce. And there's a lot of people like that. Um, you can speak to this much better than I, but I would imagine that, you know, the, the pain of, of experiences, experiencing a divorce, especially later on in life, right. Especially when you're in middle school or when you're in high school, and it hits you sideways like a fastball, you know, to the temple, the side of the head. And your your whole world is is now like upside down. You know, mom and dad, like that's that's the one thing that you can rely on in the world. You know what I mean? Like that's when everything else, when your friends leave you, when, uh, I don't know, you get cut from the basketball team or like your mom and dad, like they're, they're always there. You know, like that's, it, when that falls apart, everything else becomes like, you know, like w- what can you trust, right? Um, and then, so, uh, and this is obviously just kind of one angle. Obviously there's other tragedy and other pain and stuff that people experience. But, but I think that now these people who become, um, products of, of the, you know, generation of, of a ton of divorce, now they look at marriage and their relationships with a whole lot less hope, a whole lot less, um, you know, I guess respect for, for the institution or what have you. Um, couple that with, you know, side by side parallel, you know, um, the issue of abortion where moms are, are actually, you know, um, choosing to end the life of their babies. And now I think what we have is like this, just like this really, really terrible sense of like the, you know, devaluation of life. You know what I mean? Um, the the pain and the evil that's that's basically surrounded uh when there's a lack of love you know that and, and it really starts i think with that rom- romantic love that um you know that we if we start to throw it away at a young age then we get to an, an older age and you know then all the effects from that i think abortion comes from that right um because people get pregnant when they're not ready to get pregnant and obviously that's when people think about abortion um, and, you know, people uh, divorce because, you know, f- well, 
for many reasons, but a lot of times people choose to divorce without recognizing, you know, the, the, or I'm sorry, without, um, I guess, uh, the, the, the solid commitment that, you know, for better or for worse, good times, bad sickness and health and so on and so forth, uh, barring some actually legitimate reasons to separate like physical abuse or what have you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this to me is like the greatest reason why tragedy uh you know comes about this is the greatest reason why i believe people can bring themselves uh to want to end their own lives or to want to end others lives you know what i mean is because love really starts between a man and a woman you know in romance and grows into the family where kids come into and when kids come into a family where they experience great love you know, not just for them, but also between their parents, um, you know, that that love projects them into life with great hope and, and, you know, with their the ability to love themselves. Right. And when they come into when they're when we when a lot of people are products of, you know, families, even if people are still married, right, where there's no love, you know, we're at home, they feel, you know, great pain or, or what have you, um, then to me, it's just, it's a no brainer that they're able to, uh, you know, find themselves in positions of, of great desperation because without love, I mean, uh, you know, you, you should feel desperate, right? I mean, what, what is the, what is life without love? You know, the, the, the feeling of, of being loved, but the ability to love, you know, to love and be loved. If, if life has none of that for you, then, you know, I mean, I, I, can certainly understand that feeling of desperation and that, you know, there being no hope or what have you. Um, and the value of life is really based on love. You know, if I love others, well, then I, uh, you know, I, I value their lives, you know, with great dignity and respect. If I have no love for others, well, then obviously, you know, the value of their life is very, is meaningless to me because love is what attaches meaning. So anyway, there's probably, I probably opened up a can of worms and got into, you know, too many things without enough really time to, to draw those things out. Um, but your last thoughts. This is one of those topics where we can kind of go on and on and on. Um, and I think that um, one of my favorite things that you related this to was um that United flight that crashed into the Hudson. I think that um, there's a lot of tragedy that happens in the world. um, And I can especially relate to um, familial issues. And um, we could make a whole episode out of just that. Um, But I think that um, when people kind of discount the fact that somebody says, you know, well, oh, our prayers are with such and such victims of a tragedy. Um, we shouldn't discount that. I mean, yes, it should be a legitimate prayer and a legitimate care and concern for this person. But I think that's actually one of the first things that we should be doing. And uh, we're not doing it as much as we say that we are. So those are my, those are my final thoughts. Yep. So, um, 
to the point to the kind of the whole issue of the United flight thing, right? Um, I would say that you know if the people on that flight having experienced you know that great scare went home and the first thing that they did was you know loved their family you know give somebody a hug and a kiss and just say i you know i love you so much i'm i'm sorry for the, my stubbornness i'm going to let this other stuff go i forgive you for this you know i don't want to let this stuff weigh on me anymore i recognize now that life is fleeting and temporary and i want to make the most of it you know that that to me is that's how they you know begin to save people right um those who watch that and and see you know either when you wreck it, when you witness tragedy and you see people die or you you know see people who are almost you know almost died um that can spur you to go do the same thing right and this is where i guess i i was going with the whole you know family pain you know being at the heart the the heart of this whole issue um i think that to answer the the question of the topic of the show how do we save our kids from tragedy you take this um situation you know and and instead of using it simply for political arguments i don't have a problem with referring to situations and you know deriving information that helps us to to build good policy or what have you right but if you simply are using it for your political arguments i think that you're wrong um if you take this and use it as fuel and as a reminder you know for those who have kids who go to school to public school middle school or high school you know, use this as a reminder that anything can happen and that, you know, you need to start, you know, letting some things go, forgiving people for whatever, you know, spending more time with your kids, invest in them, um, you know, go to their, their games, you know, instead of sitting home and watching uh, this football game or that fo- basketball game, go to their chess match or, you know, that you don't care anything about. Start loving people at home first. And if you, you, you know, maybe you don't have a, a spouse, you can certainly love, you know, your parents. You can certainly, you know, find somebody to forgive. You can certainly reach out to a friend or or somebody who you know is lonely, you know, um, help that to be a reminder to say, hey, you know what? I know this other person. I'm going to give them a call and see how they're doing. I know that they had always struggled with uh, some loneliness and didn't really have much many friends or what have you, right? So use this as a, as a, as fuel to help you to love people. It might sound kind of, you know, cheesy or, or simplistic or whatever, but I honestly believe that that is how we save our kids from tragedy is we, um, we do a better job of, of loving them, you know, being good parents. Um, but being a good parent, I do believe starts with, uh, being a good boyfriend or girlfriend, um, being a, a great husband or wife, um, and then getting better at those things. Um, and then when you learn to love another person, you can learn, you can easily, love more people, right? If I didn't love my wife, I don't know that I could love my kids. You know, I would, uh, I would have a very hard time. So, um, yeah, I hope that everybody finds some good, uh, or takes this and and does some good with it. Um, but anyway, we're always open to your comments and your feedback. Um, but Alicia, as always, I appreciate your, your presence on the show. Um, you bring a lot to it. So thank you. Thanks. I'll see you next week. All right. Have a good night.